is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Uh, Taylor Schwink, Sarah Abbott, working back closer to Bristol. I don't think they're actually at ESPN today. But guys, today we got to talk about a squirrel. What'd you think about all that, Taylor? I thought you probably are bitter about that squirrel at Yankee Stadium last night because in the end, everyone's touting that squirrel as a rally squirrel. Uh, I hate it because I love the squirrel, but I hate I hate that they have to taint it with the rally aspect of it. Um, exciting game last night, but I did think of you as well, Buster, because when we talk about animals on the field, you, you have a soft spot for animals, obviously, and you were probably thinking that poor squirrel. Uh, oh, no doubt about it, right? Um, but I, you know... It, it, the, the best part of last night was the fan reaction when the squirrel was running across yeah. uh, the, you know, the, the lip of the wall in front of them. And I absolutely would have had that reaction. Yes. <laughs> so you have a squirrel like a foot and a half away from you. Sarah, what about you? I mean, I love squirrels. Um, so like a weird little fun fact, my university, Nebraska Wesleyan, shout out. We have a squirrel class where they put collarbone squirrels and you track them. So, you know, yeah, a little interesting fact. So I always have a soft spot for squirrels now. Yeah, I don't. I I was at war (laughs) with squirrels for many years. And I'm going to pick that up in Montana this summer if any of them make appearances on our property. I'm just going to tell you that right now. All right. And we're going to be asking Melanie Newman, who covers the Orioles uh, for Masson, about uh, what what uh, it was like at Yankee Stadium last night. We're also going to be speaking with Doug Glanville. Last night, a game between two of the best teams in the National League, maybe the two best teams in the National League, the Dodgers and the Braves in Atlanta. Spencer Strider on the mound for the Braves. And Jason Hayward, former Brave, went back to Atlanta, did some damage. Strider turns, kicks, and fires, and Hayward hammers one deep to right field. Acuna doesn't even move as this ball is gone. A home run for Jason Hayward on the first pitch of the second inning. It's 2-1 to Dodgers. That was Tim Neverett, AM570 LA Sports, and that home run was in support of Bobby Miller making his major league debut. Miller comes home and strikes him out. A fastball at 100 for his fourth K. Got him! Bobby Miller, five innings against the Braves in his big league debut, finishing things off with a strikeout of the all-star Matt Olson. The Dodgers win 8-1. to one. Bobby Miller gets his first major league win, and that meant that after the game, he got an impromptu beer shower that included ketchup, mustard, relish, beer, the whole works. He spoke with reporters afterward. Bobby Miller, first off, congratulations. You just made your Major League debut. Can you describe to me just the emotions and what it was like being up there on that mound? Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I'm very thankful for uh, getting my name called, um, especially with a team like this. There's a lot of superstars on this team. They could have called on a lot of other names, but they, they took me, and I'm, I'm really thankful and honored for that. Um, but yeah, I had some good defense behind me, too. Made some good pitches as the game went on. Um, yeah, first inning, uh, left a little two-strike pitches right there for him, but I'm happy the way it ended. You know, I got I got through five um, first win, so I'm really happy about that. Yeah, that interview on the Dodgers Television Network, to, to be clear, that happened before the ketchup, mustard, relish, and the beer. The second-place team in the National League West, the Diamondbacks were in Philadelphia last night. Corbin Carroll came to the plate, top of the eighth inning, score three all. 
2-0 swing, base hit into left field. Guriel scores, and the Diamondbacks retake the lead. It's 4-3. And from Arizona Sports 98.7 FM, the Diamondbacks hold on to win. Uh, the Phillies having a chance to tie the game the bottom of the ninth when that game ended. Booze for the Phillies, who've been inconsistent this year. The Cubs and the Mets. Matt Mervis went deep in the bottom of the second. Pitch. Hit in the air, deep left center field. Nimmo going back. He looks up. It's gone. Matt Mervis goes deep. His first career home run at Wrigley Field. A two-run job the other way. And the Cubs now up 4-0 over the Mets here in the second. So the Cubs were well in control of this game in the bottom of the seventh inning when Christopher Morrell added to his recent legend. Because he's 0 for 2 so far, the average has dropped to 354. He swings, drills one, deep left field. Can you believe it? Another Christopher Morrell home run. I mean, can you say on fire? This guy's absolutely tearing the cover off the baseball. You said it, he needed a hit, and he got one, Zach. Christopher Morrell. Nine home runs now for Morrell in 12 games this season. That from the Cubs radio network. We're going to be talking to Doug Lanville uh, about Morrell when we speak to him in just a moment. And by the way, he apparently made a prediction that came true before this game. Angels, Red Sox, future Hall of Famer Mike Trout did some damage. Angels batting bottom of the eighth up 2 nothing. The pitch. Trout swings and lifts a high fly ball. It's carrying deep out into right center. It's Trout here. Mike Trout has just hit a two-run homer. The Angels add on for Trout is 11th of the season. It goes 393, and the Angels are up 4 to nothing. Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AM 830. That was career homer number 361 for Trout, tying Joe DiMaggio on the all-time home run list. The Brewers, the Astros, the Astros uh, had a big win on Monday. Jordan Alvarez won nuts. Well, last night felt like it was the night of Owen Miller. Uh-oh, that one's way back and way gone. And Owen Miller, a two-run blast. The kid from Fredonia is having a great start to the season for his hometown team. Miller makes it 6 to nothing on his third home run of the season. His third hit of the game. And he knew it, too. Talk about tattooing one. That was from the Brewers Television Network. He also made a great catch in a pivotal moment during the course of that game. Padres Nationals, Juan Soto back in Washington, and he had himself a night. Driven to right center field. That ball is back. That ball is very gone. Juan Soto back in Washington gets his third hit, and this one's a home run to put the Padres on top five to three. Don Orsillo with that call on the Padres television network. The final score there was 7-4. to four. Athletics broadcaster Glenn Kuyper was fired uh, following his use of a racial slur on air. He'd been suspended by NBC Sports California earlier this month after he used the racial slur while describing a trip to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And the network said following an internal review, it opted to end its relationship with him Permanently, Kuiper again apologized Monday, saying it was a, quote, terrible but honest mispronunciation, but also questioned why I was fired for, quote, one mistake in a 20-year broadcasting career. We got sad news on Monday. 
Hall of Fame writer Rick Hummel passed away. He covered baseball for decades for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch before retiring last year. He was known as the commish. I knew him. Uh, great guy. So well-respected. I would encourage everybody to go to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch to read stories. Bernie Miklas, uh, a, a former columnist for the Post-Dispatch, wrote a tremendous uh, piece on his website. Uh, I uh, retweeted that. If you go to my Timeline, you'll find that there. Some great stories about Rick Hummel. Ollie Mormal, the manager of the Cardinals, actually wore his jersey top on Monday's game for the Cardinals because Rick Hummel always believed that all managers shouldn't have one of these, you know, hoodie tops or something like that. He believed managers should wear their jersey. And so Ollie, in honor of Rick Hummel, wore number 37. During the course of the Cardinals game on Tuesday night, Paul Goldschmidt, Went deep twice. As this ball's hammered deep toward right, Myers going back. He's going to run out of room. That one's gone. An opposite field home run. The key at Great American Ballpark is get it in the air. That's exactly what Goldie has done in both of his at-bats. Goldie does it again. Opposite field this time, the slider. St. Louis wins that game 8-5. to five. Toronto, Tampa Bay. And this turned into an absolute laugher with Toronto winning 20 to one. Well, uh, some of those runs were accounted for when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a grand slam off a position player. Vladdy became the first ever major league strikeout in the pitching career for Luke Rayleigh. The 1 0. There's a swing and a high fly ball. Revenge has been struck. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with a grand slam. 15-1, Toronto. And that from Sportsnet 590, the fan. But the game of the night was in the Bronx, the Yankees, and the Orioles. Garrett Cole on the mound for New York, reaching a milestone. Swing and a miss, strikeout number 2,000. And he's the 87th player in baseball history and the third fastest behind Sale and Pedro. 2,000 strikeouts for Cole, a 1-2-3 inning as well. Michael Kay with that call on the Yes Network. Uh, Taylor, you have to cover your ears because what happened during the course of this game, very frustrating for an Orioles fan after they built a 4-0 lead. High drive, left field, going back Hayes, track, wall, see ya, tie game, judge does it, it's 5-5. So the Yankees, the Orioles went to extra innings. This is what happened. Anthony Volpe at the plate. High fly ball. Mullins goes back. Still goes back. This will get it done. He makes the catch. Tagging. Panafalefa. He will score. And the Yankees with a dramatic 6-5 win over the Orioles. And the rookie gets it done in the bottom of the 10th. Aaron Judge spoke with Meredith Morakovitz after that game, talking about his game-tying home run. Well, I didn't think I got it in the beginning, you know, just because I'm so geared up for the heater. You know, I didn't want to be late on that. That when I made contact with that, really didn't, really wasn't sure what was going to happen. But you know, once I saw the reaction from the dugout and, and the outfielder, I knew we, you know, tied it up and you know, time for Volpe to go out there and do his thing. Taylor, sorry about that. What else you got? Oh, Buster, I get, I get why Felix Batista pitched to him. I maybe would have pitched around Aaron Judge, but uh, you know he's we can't we can't win them all. Buster, we'll get him again tonight. I'll be at Yankee Stadium. First time going to Yankee Stadium. Woo-hoo! Haven't seen the Orioles since I moved to Connecticut, so uh, we're gonna do the drive there and back thing tonight. Uh, me and my wife very excited for that. 
Uh, in terms of things to promote here, Hoop Collective, already an episode out after uh, Boston makes it 3-1 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Brian Windhorst, he's joined by Tim Bontemps and Tim McMahon. They react to Boston showing some fight, the Celtics' key shooting stat, Jimmy Butler's confidence level, what path to victory Boston fans can hope for, LeBron's interesting end-of-season quotes, future of the Lakers, the Nuggets' incredibly impressive play, and how formidable they will be going into the NBA Finals. That is The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. You can listen to that wherever you're listening to this podcast right now or on YouTube. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code baseball. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Doug Glanville is an analyst on ESPN Radio. You see him on ESPN Television, especially during the postseason. And you see him on the Marquee Network. Doug, how you doing? I'm doing great. Just right outside of Wrigley Field. So, you know, it's, it's good times. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I reached out to you about doing this hit, you're like, got to do it early. You, got, <laughs> you know, in Chicago doing uh, doing Cubs games. I get to see you now every weekend because uh, you're working ESPN radio. You know, I'm preparing for Sunday Night Baseball. It feels like we've had uh, breakfast about four or five times so far this year. And I always find myself asking you to relate stories about your mom. I love the stories about your mom. And before we got started today, you were telling me another one. If you can relate that story about your mom. Yeah, well, it was sort of the early days of, I guess we maybe termed it bully, but it was kind of early. And uh, my mom taught at the junior high school, which is what we called seventh through ninth grade. And so I was there, obviously her dropping us off in the morning. She was a math teacher. And uh, there was a kid that was always trying to get my lunch money. And, you know, back then it was, it was like 25 cents for this, five cents for milk. And every day he'd come in and I wasn't really scared of this guy. He had the old buzz cut. He was kind of old school Jersey with a leather, not leather, but like the denim jacket. I was like, all right, whatever. So I kind of entertained him because my mom gave me money in the morning. I always had enough money. So I was like, well, maybe he's having money problems or whatever. But then after a while, I was getting tired of it. And at one point he started bringing muscle. And the muscle was the Lamone family, who is a family of farmers in town, the only farm. And I knew some of them because one of the brothers played baseball. So it wasn't like I wasn't cool, but he was kind of standing behind him, you know, just sort of endorsing this guy bullying me for five cents. So I was, I was getting tired of it. So one day I finally was like, all right, I'm not giving you any more money. Sorry, dude. And he's like, did you hear that, man? Did you hear trying to get his muscle on me? And he wouldn't do anything because first of all, you know, it's baseball. So I think the guy was now in a corner and uh was very upset about it so i he didn't do anything and i was like okay so i kept moving didn't pay him didn't give him money and then a week later he found out he's like wait a minute your last name is glanville right i'm like yeah he's like as in like mrs glanville the math teacher yeah (laughs) who he had for math by the way (laughs) 
And he was like, it literally like his whole face just like, I think it just melted off his body. Cause as you know, my mom was nicknamed Trooper Glanville for the way she roamed the halls. I mean, that guy tried to pay me back money. I think he might've thrown interest in it. I, I don't even know, but he was horrified. So sometimes I was just like, it was just a lesson of patience. Like I knew this day was coming. <laughs> I knew this day was coming and I'm just going to enjoy the moment. And uh, he was apologetic. I just let him off the hook. And then I asked my mom about uh, him as a student and how he's like, oh, he's like, oh yeah, he's fine, whatever. So that was it. So, you know, sometimes the long game is how you got to play it, man, on these bullies. <laughs> man, that is great. I love stories. Seriously. Uh, uh, it, it, it's funny. Just sitting at breakfast, we've had different friends of mine there. I'm like, and I just turned to Doug. I'm like, tell him about your mom. Tell him about your mom. I just love the stories about your mom. Uh, all right. Tell me about Christopher Morrell, who's going nuts. Nine homers and 12 games for the Cubs. It surprised me that he didn't make the team out of spring training because the thing that just jumped out at to you last year when he made his, uh, you know, when he was called up was just the energy level that w- with which he plays. And he is just absolutely a force since he came up to the big leagues this year. Totally a force. Well, I think the, the issue that he didn't quite have a position, he's still trying to get his defense and they're not sure where to put him. And I think we have a young guy like that. You're trying to not get him up there and just – you know, take away his ability to, you know, gain that skill to make him like really undeniable in the lineup. So they're hoping he'd sort of get work on the defense and, and just establish himself. And boy, did he ever, I mean, he did it in the minors too. I mean, he, you know, I think he has 20 home runs already if you count the triple A. So it's off the charts, but you know, the thing about him is you're, you're right. The energy, the infectious nature, this guy is, you know, when you talk to this guy, he's so calm He's confident. He goes right up to you. He introduced himself the first time because I was there when he hit his home run first major league at bat. And the next day, he's just shaking hands. He uses Aloy Jimenez's bat. He, that's what he used last year, really skinny bat. And um, he's listening. He's always listening and uh, has that sort of even temper that you look for, <clears throat> even though he's also this catalyst. So, yeah, it's now it's undeniable. You, you can't get this guy to the lineup. Um, and we saw him before the pregame. And he was like, uh, you know, or Cole Wright said, you're going to hit us, you know, get a hit today, maybe a double. He's like, no, a home run today, a home run today. <laughs> so, <laughs> <sure enough. laughs> yeah, he's, he's so much, he was always fun to watch, but now, you know, the power's there and Taylor McGregor threw some great numbers at us last year about how he's keeping the ball off the, you know, off the ground, hitting the ball in the air. Uh, he's, he's getting that front shoulder a little bit behind the ball. So there's a, there's actually some mechanical adjustments to why he's also being, this successful. He seems like the perfect utility player. Like if I'm, you know, David Ross or any other manager for that matter, that's the type of guy that I want. And it's especially, I feel like just, uh, you know, watching the Cubs through the years, playing so many day games, but a guy like that, you know, that you can, uh, where he's bringing that much energy, they feel so important. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, what's probably going to happen now, because it's one of those things you think about a Chris Bryant, he was kind of revolutionary in that, you know, you had a player that was really a super utility guy, but he was an MVP offensive player. So that gave him so much value because he never lost the offense. Back in the day, utility guys, you, you come in and they're like, oh, that's a weaker, you're weakening the position, you're just giving someone a day off or something. Now you don't lose anything offensively. So if Morrell could just get his defense to the level where he's an asset, wherever you put him, right, left, second, short, center, because by the way, he's one of the best arms in the game. 
then you have then you just have the ultimate you know force behind him you're able to put him anywhere don't lose anything and then give strategically people days off or guys you can move around and that's that's the great potential and i don't see why you know as bad as so good now he could he could go in there left-handed and defensively it doesn't even matter but uh, eventually you know it'll slow down a little bit you're going to need that that defense to pick up all right so I'm going to give you an impossible question that uh, is sort of a remnants of a question I asked Sarah Langs the other day. And this is within the context of what happened last night. Aaron Judge hits a game-tying home run. The Yankees uh, wind up walking it off. The question I asked for Sarah is, I think everyone would concede, if, if you had a draft of baseball general managers right now, okay, Shohei Otani would be the first pick. If the goal was to win a World Series this year, uh, Otani would be the first pick because the value he brings on both sides of the ball. Who's the second pick, Doug? And who would be the third pick in that draft? And I'll throw out some names just because yeah. I'm hitting you with this cold. Ronald Acuna Jr. Mm. with the start that he's off to right now. Shane mm. McClanahan, who might be the best left-hander in baseball. Uh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, MVP of the National League last year. Uh, maybe one of the answers, uh, you know, Jordan Alvarez, who I think might be the best pure left-handed hitter in baseball right now. Mm. Who would be your second pick behind Otani? Mm. Well, I, I'm going to go offense since Otani gives you the pitching. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think you are in Ronald Acuna Jr. I don't know if there's a better baseball player. I mean, right now, this guy, I mean, they, we already know about the talent. And now the fact that he's, you know, he's showing everything. He's just healthy. He's just healthy. And at that age, you're talking about, you know, even though, all right, you're building for what you can get like a 32-year-old, you can get Judge or someone now and win. But Acuna, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how you pick because he's going to steal your bases. He's going to hit for power. He's hitting whatever. He's hitting 360 right now. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. That's Right now, he looks like the best player in the game. Yes. Uh, you landed exactly where Sarah and I landed. I'm like, right now, Acuna is the best. But judge what he's done in the last week, you know, so what he's done since he came off the injured list. So you think he's just reminded everybody how great he is too. Yeah, he could be uh, so he would pick. be the third, he would be the third <laughs> pick for me in that draft. What about you? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a great pick. I mean, he, he has, you know, that's that experience, right? He has that experience presence adjustments now. And I asked him last, last year, late in the year, I said, well, have you, you kind of move from this sort of veteran, you know, to sort of rookie veteran, you know, you always have that crisis, the midlife crisis in baseball. Wait, am I a rookie young guy still, or am I now? You know? And he's crossed over to be like true captain leader. So that's, that's what maybe Acuna Jr. wouldn't necessarily bring as, as much. Right. So judge, you know, balances it off, but because Otani answers your pitching question, uh, that's why I would not go with pitchers. I'd go with two other uh, position players. Yeah. And, and judge, the thing that, and we don't know about Acuna Jr. because when they won the World Series, of course, he was hurt. Uh, you know, last year they didn't advance very far. I think Judge has kind of demonstrated in big moments he puts his heart rate now. Uh, you know, he has his heart rate under control. And I'm curious about Ronald Acuna Jr. in this postseason coming up because, man, everything he's doing is just crazy. Uh, all right, I walked away from our coverage over the weekend of the Guardians and the Mets believing – that uh, that when we get to July, the best player available in the trade market is going to be Shane Bieber. Because Doug, I, I you know look, the Guardians surprised the baseball world last year, youngest team in the game, 
and yet they won the American League Central. The team that I watched over the weekend, I'm like, that team is nowhere close to some of the elite teams, you know, in the American League East or the Astros or the Texas Rangers and the best National League teams. And if you're Cleveland and your standard is, I mean, you made the World Series in 2016, I got to believe that internally, uh, as they evaluate their club, that their feeling would be, look, we're not close to winning and now is the time to take advantage of Bieber's value. He's got four plus uh, years of service time. He's a free agent after 2024. His velocity's come down three ticks since 2020, but he's still an elite pitcher, which we saw on Sunday night. I, If I'm the Guardians, who have such a great front office and they make such great trades with their prospects, excuse me, with their veteran players, I'm putting Bieber out there. What about you? But, you know, it's interesting is that this is the difference between when you add another postseason team, right? You add another wildcard team. Now you're like, well, we're in it. You know, we're still in it. I mean, look at their division, first of all, right? They're not yeah. getting wildcard. But it gives you, like, sometimes a false sense of, like, oh, well, I'll just make it. And maybe if you're Seattle Mariners last year, you just needed to make it. But right. Cleveland's not trying to do that. And it, it doesn't their, – their offense is just non-existent. And, you know, Francona works a lot of magic, and there's some talent in there. They play good defense. They go first to third. I thought they'd be bigger beneficiaries of the new rules because of stolen base and the first to thirds. But they're not even getting a base. You know, they're not just there enough. So, you know, it doesn't look like that's going to get fixed, you know, uh, anytime soon. So you're, you're left with, with Bieber. And, you know, I think that is a, a viable move, but it just depends on if they're saying, well, we can still win the division. Because that division, nobody's really taking control of it. They're not that far back. And it's, it's hard to jettison people early when, you have, when you're that close. You know, you remember the Yankees did that a few years ago when they got like Glaber Torres and all. We're like, what, what are they doing? They're like mathematically still in it. And that was pretty shocking. But so it depends on their objective. And I do think their objective is more than just, you know, getting in. And uh, but, you know, I look at also, you know, we had Ken Rosenthal on our podcast. And what I like his approach with this is he's like, I think the he's predicting the Cardinals are going to win the division. And I picked them, you know, before and they look pretty dangerous right now. And, and if that's the case and the Brewers get leapfrog, then they're going to have a, a few guys like Corbin Burns, maybe who got knocked around last time, that's a guy that could be interesting because you, you have some arms. And like you said, the premium, you're going to have to find some, some arms that maybe unexpectedly become available. And it could be Bieber, it could be Burns uh, because you're going to need arms in this postseason. Yeah. And we talked last week on the podcast about how, or a couple of weeks ago about how uh, the Brewers demonstrated last year, look, they'll be aggressive in terms of uh, maximizing value on trade and uh, uh, trade and trading veterans. They did that with Josh Hader. They traded yep. him when they were in first place. And I've checked with sources and around baseball, and they've said, why would the Brewers operate any differently when you're talking about Burns and Woodruff and Willie Adamas, who might be a guy who the Dodgers would covet, you know, at the trade deadline, for example, uh, you know, potentially needing a shortstop. So that is going to be one to watch. And I just – the thing that just jumped out over the weekend was what you referenced. The Guardians' offense is so far away – the team that I think absolutely makes the most sense because it would help the Guardians making a deal with this team potentially uh, would help the Guardians and uh, what they need would be the Cardinals. They have all these major league ready position players. They're trying to find uh, playing time for you know Donovan and Gorman and Carlson. And it would seem that there would be a number of choices maybe that the, the Guardians could have. Yeah, the Cardinals uh, is a good call. They have, they have like too many outfielders and Gorman is amazing. And they need a number one. 
You know, yeah. I was talking with the executive yesterday. He said, look, when you look at the Cardinals, none of their starting pitchers fear you, you fear in a postseason series potentially. Uh, I want to ask you sort of like a, a baseball culture, a couple of baseball culture questions. Uh, this was from the Cardinals game yesterday. Nolan Arenado and the manager, Oliver Marmol, got tossed. Give a listen. In between innings here, Nolan Arenado, after hitting into the double play, was walking to the Cardinals dugout. Wasn't looking at Will Little, and he got run. Arenado thrown out of the ball game. Oliver Marmol came in to argue the strike zone. He got thrown out by Will Little here in the third. Well, I'll tell you what. Will Little needs to tuck the ears in a little bit. You're going to get that personal about a guy who's walking off, not eye contact, not showing you up between innings. And he had a couple of calls on Arenado. All he's telling him, look, it can't be down here under the zone and up here as well. Contreras had a couple called against him that were well up above the zone. And Will Little takes it personally and ends up running Arenado and running Ollie Marmol. So that's from the Cardinals television network. And, and yeah, they mentioned Ollie came out. Doug, he put on a show. Like, <laughs> he was like, you're missing here. And he's gesturing. He's pointing. I feel like that, you know, it, because – Managers don't have as much to argue about with instant replay review as they used to. It's becoming an art form for how managers now will go out and argue the strike zone with the our, the leader in that category. I think you'd agree with me is our good friend Aaron Boone, who just puts on a show these days. So as a player, tell me, you know, does that have meaning in a clubhouse when it, when an Aaron Boone and Oliver Marmol goes out and just absolutely buries an umpire in that way? But, you know, it's it's having your back. You know, that's the thing. And, and Marmol's quote was dead on, and he said it. He, he's very transparent about this stuff. He's like, well, if my player's getting tossed, I'm getting tossed. And that was pretty much it. He's like, that's it. And um, and so there's no doubt that you feel like, okay, he's fighting for you, and, and that is very much part of the baseball culture. You know, you don't have as many moments when you can challenge, you know, an umpire on situations. You know, there's tight plays at second or – a stolen base tag and the guy just points into the, he's just like, <laughs> they don't even look at the umpire, they just point into the dugout. So it's a, it's a very different, uh, they're very disassociated in many ways, except in these moments where, all right, you threw my player out. Now I got to step in. But yeah, I think the theater, that was fun with Earl Weaver and all those guys back in the day, you kind of miss it. And I, I feel for the umpire. I think they do a great job. Uh, I think they they definitely underappreciated. I always call it it's like cafeteria food. When it's good, nobody says anything. But when it's bad, everybody complains about it, or they complain about it anyway. So they they really can't win as umpires, even when they do a good job. But when you really talk to a lot of managers, they're like they, they do a good job. They, you know, when they hear about robot umps and stuff. But uh, yeah, every once in a while. And by the way, that sinker down and in Arenado was a strike. <laughs> it was a strike. The K zone had it as a strike, dude. So. You know, that's the other problem. You got to make sure you're right. <laughs> yeah, nobody put on a show to, to more, more, literally more in terms of volume than Bobby Cox. Oh. It just some days it felt like, you know, if, if some umpire done Chipper wrong, he was going to come out and he was going to argue for Chipper. You know, and it was much more about his players and supporting his players than it was anything about the umpire. That's the way it felt. I also wanted to ask you about a situation that happened the other night in the Dodgers and Braves game. Uh, Marcel Azuna with a backswing, he hits uh, Will Smith in the head. And Will Smith said something to him. And I was watching that, Doug, the, the exchange between them. It kind of reminded me of when a batter, you know, gets hit up in the shoulder. 
uh, behind them in situations when no one thinks that it's being done on purpose, where the hitter feels like, dude, you 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 got to be more careful. You got to clean that up a little bit. It wasn't that Will Smith, I think, thought that Arzuna was trying to hurt him. Like, but come on, was yeah. that uh, you think the way that the players are taking it? Yeah, that's what Will Smith, you know, flat out said that he was very much trying to give him uh, advice. <laughs> yeah, it might have been stern and with a little profanity. I don't know, but he just he's like, you got to fix this. You got to fix it. There's no more excuse about uh, the fact that you have this backswing and you're hitting people. And, and apparently, he's hit you know people before, Will Smith before. So that's just that's just sort of the fraternity of baseball players in Major League Baseball, right? It's the idea of we're looking out for each other, we're all in it together. And there's certain things we can address to keep everybody safe. I think that's a very reasonable thing to address to someone. So it's not brawl worthy. You're just like, hey, I'm just letting you know, dude, you wouldn't want your catcher just consistently getting hit by backswings. And there was always guys like that. Like I played with Jose Vieira in the minor leagues and he had this crazy backswing. He was always hitting catchers. So you gotta, you do, you have to make an adjustment and move up in the box, whatever it takes but you can't jeopardize the catcher because we're all in this together. All right, Doug. Always great to talk with you. Always hear, uh, great to hear about your mom. <laughs> all right, Buster. Always a pleasure. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Melanie Newman broadcast uh, Baltimore Orioles games, and last night she was at Yankee Stadium. Melanie, it, it felt like from watching from the outside, like that was a playoff atmosphere. 
You know, it really was, Buster. And I got to talk to some of the coaches on the way back. And we just talked about how this is really New York. You know, even in May, it still gets chilly at night, which gives you that vibe of that playoff type situation. And for such a young team, you know, they just have to deal with it. That was kind of the consensus pregame today. We know that Gunnar Henderson was on fire last year when he finally came up. But those games in New York didn't mean the same way they do this year, especially when you add in the fact that they're playing each other less. So even though, yeah, we know you're not going to punch your ticket in May, you have to be able to take advantage early on whenever you're getting to see the rest of your AL East foes. And it does feel like when the American League East teams play each other now, it's like a game of musical chairs. Like there's no margin for error because uh, you know that as great as the AL East teams are, at least one of them is not making the playoffs and probably two. You know, it's really crazy, and that's where I wish you could just rearrange a few things as to who gets in on the postseason um, because you look around at what has been such a historic year. I know Sarah Langs has been covering this in depth, but there's a reason that the Orioles are 9-7 and seven in the division, and then when they play anywhere outside of it, the whole division is 660 against everybody else. It just really doesn't feel fair sometimes, but we've also known that this has been the division for a while. The only thing that's changed is now that the cycles have come around to where everybody's competitive at the same time. Even when we wanted to count Boston out before the season, they've found their stride up until these last couple of games. So for the Orioles, it's just that time where they can really take advantage. They talked about how different it was from when they rolled in in 2020 and 2021 and said, you know, what are we doing here? We're, we're so clearly underdogs. They like being a threat now. They like knowing that they've kind of put everybody on notice. Going into the week, I tweeted out that the uh, the run differential for the American League East teams is plus 225, and I think the second best run differential for any division was plus eight, <laughs> which really put it into context how dominant the division is. Speaking of Sarah Langs, I love, and you know her, so I love to put her in a position where she has to choose between players because she's such a nice person and she doesn't want to pick one <laughs> over the other. But I made her sort of general manager for all 30 teams for a day, and, and we agreed. We started out with, okay, if you were to draft all players with the goal of trying to win a World Series this year, I think everyone would agree. Otani would go first because he would fill two needs, you know, offense and with pitching. But I asked her, I said, okay, who's the second player? that you would take in that draft. And, you know, some of the names, Aaron Judge, uh, who last night, you know, hits a game-tying home run for the Yankees. They go on and win in extra innings. Ronald Acuna Jr., seeing Adley Rutschman, who's going up the board so quickly. Mike Trout, Shane McClanahan, who starts for the Rays later today. If you were a general manager of all 30 teams and you get to do a mock draft, who would be your number two pick in that draft? This is impossible. I hope this is right. a softball. Because well, I loved asking mother, Sarah this question. I, I don't even know who to compare you to right now out of the back end of a bullpen throwing me two curveballs. But um, I haven't even gotten to see all 30 teams yet, so we're going to be a little biased in this, but I, I will back it up. Um, I, I think it's Adley Rutschman because, in my opinion, wow. just as valuable as Shohei Otani is giving you both sides. We've also seen the value – not only of a catcher who can buy you strikes, who's going to be out there and be durable for you. I mean, this kid is hardly having a day off. Even the days he's on the bench, he ends up coming in at some point. And I think having somebody who is so effective at reaching, so effective at reading his zones, and also a star defensively, those are so rare to come across. 
Um, and I think you just look at the wins above replacement, what he's able to do for a pitching staff, whether it's the starter or your back-end guy, somebody you've just traded for. Uh, to me, that's, that's Adley. All right. Uh, we settled, Doug Landville uh, and Sarah and I settled on Acuna 2, uh, Judge 3, but I, I think Rutschman's in that conversation, for me anyway, in that conversation for four, in part because in what I hear all the time, and you see it on a daily basis, it, I hear all the time about his energy level into every pitch, offensively and defensively, being a separator uh, among not only among catchers, but among players in baseball. Tell me what you see there. Yeah, and, and that's really what it came down to for me, being that extra little quality that you don't really see on the field. Because no offense to Aaron Judge, but when I look at him and we've seen the track record, he's a war against gravity all the time. You're, you're kind of wondering how long a frame of that size is going to be sustainable. Adley's best ability is his availability. And you say that knowing how good he is at everything else, but this is a guy who grew up not being phased by what he's been put through right now, not being phased that he's had this target on his back as this one, one and will here, won't he pan out because he was the least famous Rutschman in his family. You know, he's following behind his grandfather, Ad and his father, Randy, he loves that his mechanics are just like his dad's. Um, and I just think it gave him such a deep sense of humility for such a long time in his life that he was able to bring that into the big leagues. And he's a little quieter around us, but we've always heard from everybody who is in the clubhouse once the doors are closed, just, you know, how laid back and funny and, and really does tie everybody together. You know, we know that the pitchers go off during the game on their own because they obviously do something very different. But what I find so different about this clubhouse than any clubhouse I've ever been around is truly away from the field or during that free time when they're behind those clubhouse doors, all of them are together. You know, they're not often little corners in their own little sex doing things. And Adley is such a big part of why it is that way. He's the reason Gunnar Henderson hasn't lost his cool while he's been trying to find himself this year, because Adley's kind of guided that through. Um, and I just think it shows where the game has been going, paying attention to that character profile of a draft sheet before they ultimately pick somebody's name because he's an 80 grade. So I remember watching him catch his first game in the big leagues and he has that thing that he does and you see it every day where an inning ends and he greets the pitchers coming off the mound. And I thought, boy, that's, that's going to jump out. And it actually, and I'm sorry, I'm old and I'm a Lakers fan uh, growing <laughs> up and I never forget magic Johnson's first game with the Lakers there was an inbounds play to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he hit an 18-foot sky hook to beat the Clippers. And here's Kareem, who's got 10 years in the, you know, in the NBA, and he's kind of just jogging off because it's another game, and it's one of 82. And Magic, like, leapt into his arms uh, and was hugging him. And as they run off the court, <laughs> they get back into the locker room, and Kareem is like, hey, kid, we, we, th th like, it's a long season Magic is like, if you make that shot, and he to he's told the story, he said he said to Kareem, look, if you make that shot 81 more times, I'm going to jump into your arms 81 more times during the regular season. That's the sort of energy that I see in Adley. Like, and it feels like that it does rub off on other players and through, and you know better than I do, because you're around, you know, this team every single day over the course of six months. Man, that's difference making. It is. And you know what's amazing is that in addition to that left field wall that we saw change last year, Adley's attracting pitchers to come and sign with Baltimore. That was one of the first discussions Kyle Gibson had. He's worked with some of 
the best out there. I mean, we've had guys coming in that have been with JT Real Muto and Suzuki and all these other great catchers, and they've watched footage and they've called other pitchers and said, okay, I've noticed that he walks off with you. What is that like? They're attracted to that energy. Yinier Cano, why does he have a sub one ERA? I talked to him at the beginning of the season. He finally feels comfortable. And that's because his battery mate is hugging him and walking him off the field and having conversations with him. He just said, look, last year, I didn't know anybody. I'd never known any other organization other than the twins and nothing just felt good to me. I just didn't, I didn't have any sense of who I was. He comes in though with this year, he knows Adley really well. And that's the confidence that comes out that we've gotten to see over this last six weeks. Melanie, what are some of the things that he says to players as they're walking off the field? I'm always curious about that because, let's face it, it's not every inning. It's not a one, two, three inning with two strikeouts. Different innings, you get different results. What are the sort of things that he likes to convey? I've tried to pick his brain on this, Buster, but he does keep a very close-knit book of his game plan. Um, He already has that veteran Cal Ripken-esque presence about how he goes about things. But uh, we have gotten a very general overview of, you know, sometimes it's, hey, I thought, you know, that strikeout was great, especially, obviously, if it's a save or a win situation for them. Um, Congratulating them on a really good moment, settling some of them down. Hey, you know what? Don't worry about that first batter or this run. It's going to be okay. The offense is going to pick you up. He said it's always going to be situational not only on the game, but the pitcher itself. He studies them and kind of pays attention to who feeds off of tough love, who needs you to be maybe a little softer landing spot for them, and who's the guy that just really wants you to be a can of Red Bull while you get him out of there. And uh, it's it's been impressive, but I really need a mic'd up moment just to hear all of these chats that he has. Well, and you and I know this, there's no chance of that happening because I had a couple of conversations with Adley and what absolutely jumped out of me and look, you and I love the players who open up completely and are like, they let you into their world. And that's great. And some players are comfortable with that. But it's pretty clear that Adley, you know, being a, a one overall pick, he's a superstar of the team. He has no desire, has no need to sort of lord over other players. And that was my sense in talking with him. He does not want to separate himself from those guys. That's pretty cool, especially in a young player. Yeah, no, he he doesn't at all. And again, you go back to the humility that he's grown up with his entire life. I mean, his parents, Carol and Randy, are, are two of the nicest human beings I think I'll ever meet in the rest of my life. And it just makes sense when you look at him that he doesn't need to be that separator. He didn't even in the first week that he was up in the big leagues. And when we talked to some of the younger guys there, like Gunnar Henderson, they said, yeah, it really is kind of this close-knit, rookie group when we're away they all kind of bounce and lean on each other and that's what's special because we know that Adley to Gunner to a Kyle Stowers Taryn Vavra they're not the same especially on paper but the fact that he has that character that charisma to kind of remove everything and make it to where they really are um, I think that's how you get a lot further and I think that's how these young guys really don't crumble under that rookie or that sophomore pressure of we're in a young environment and all of a sudden we're also expected to be in the playoffs. And that's because you have people in there that have just removed all of the outside noise, removed all of those external tags that they've been given. And they just want to be around each other. They've been around each other since they were drafted and they want to keep doing the same things they did in the minors. You mentioned Gunnar Henderson the last couple of weeks. He's starting to turn around a little bit. You know, he was my rookie of the year pick. Uh, I struggled the outset of the year. What have you seen in the last couple of weeks? You know what's amazing 
is he uses Legos to separate his game at the end of the day. And, and I've been obsessed with this ever since I found out he bought one before spring training last year, just to have something to do. And he got hooked. They're all star Wars and they're all five to 7,000 pieces, which makes my brain hurt. He actually bought a BB eight from the times square store. He travels with this. He, he does travel with it. Um, he's been in a build off with Colton Kowser twice. They built a millennium Falcon last year, but he just goes away from the field. And he said in sitting there and opening up all these bags and thousands of pieces and putting things together, he kind of gets himself away from what he felt in the game. He puts a lot of pressure on himself. I think we can see that, especially, you know, he's got the the helmet slams after he picks up a strikeout. Um, and, And he kind of slows everything down. And he got to the point working in Legos where he said, you know what? I'm not hitting right now, but I like my defense. I I think my defense is good. I'm always going to be better defensively, but right now I'm not bad. And there's something to build on there. I know I'm not collecting hits, but I have a really good zone read because I'm walking a lot and walking means I'm reaching, which means the lineup keeps moving and I'm on base for somebody else. And that's good. So I don't need to be mad about my walks. I don't need to be mad about my defense and where you see a lot of rookies that something goes wrong for them and then everything kind of snowballs and everything is all of a sudden going wrong. This kid is using Legos to separate everything and really keep the rest steady because he had some plays last night. I was holding my breath. I'm probably the one because I sit in the overflow press box. You know, I've got my hands in my face and I'm not cheering. It's just those moments where you cringe if if they're going to make a play or not. And he just pulls them off so smoothly um, and, and chalk it up to, to Star Wars Legos because the kid's done such a good job keeping everything in its own compartment and the bat's going to come around. That's awesome. Uh, I got two more for you, two, uh, two minutes left. Uh, real quick, Cedric Mullins, kind of a down year last year after the year before. He you know, was terrific across the board. What's changed for him this year? Because he's obviously been going off. He has. And, and you know, really his one big focus this offseason solely was facing lefties. That was all of his cage work. He would get a couple guys over the offseason. He wanted to make sure his lefty numbers improved. And so for a minute, we did see Brandon Hyde would tinker around, maybe putting Austin Hayes in his spot instead for him if we had a lefty coming in. But he started to show that, look, my my homework is paying off. I'm going to do just fine. We knew that he had that strength the years prior, but obviously when you change from not being a switch hitter anymore, that's huge. And what I thought was so cool as well was the fact that we know – His arm in the outfield wasn't the best, but we've also seen it slowly pick up in numbers over the years. He just started finding left-handed pitchers and asking them to teach them the four-seam fastball because he said it makes Mm. the most sense. It's the most direct. It's the hardest pitch you have. So if I can pick up on that, that's what I'm going to use if I have to make, you know, an outfield assist or if we're going for anybody with bases on it. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've asked a couple guys if they've ever heard of anybody doing that and to count they haven't. So I'd love to know if other people are picking up on, you know, fastball pitches here, but for Cedric, you know, again, slow heart rate, he's been demoted twice before. That's not really going to phase him anymore. I think for guys like he and Hayes that have been attached at the hip since they were in the minors, they really came out of their shells last year with Robinson Chirinos and really kind of realized, you know what, I can call myself that veteran. Now I don't have to come up here and play every day. Like I might be sent down the next day. This is my spot. And I'm not letting anybody take it away from me. And, and having that seeded confidence that I'm going to be here as long as I choose to be here, that's everything. 
When you talk about throwing, the guy to remind me of was Juan Pierre. I remember I went going down to Louisiana and doing a story on that and watching him work on his throwing exactly along the lines of what you're talking about. Uh, and lastly, you were there for the squirrel show last night. Uh, you know, it, and it felt like it was less about the squirrel than it was about the reaction to those fans that the squirrel popped up in front of. Uh, tell us about that experience. And what would you do if you were sitting in one of those seats and a squirrel suddenly emerged in front of you? New York might chase me out, Buster, but I had pet squirrels as a kid. I You're did, kidding. I, I grew, I, I'm not kidding. I grew up in Georgia and we had um, an ant. Our dad loved animals, everything. If there was a turtle crossing the road, it's in the backseat of his car to get it to the other side. He caught venomous snakes that would pop up in the neighborhood and he'd put them in a pillowcase and drive them up to a reserve and let them go. Um, you know, where most people shot them. So this, this was our family. And we had abandoned squirrels that were babies in our attic. And so instead of having the exterminator come out, he fed them with an eyedropper and we grew up with pet squirrels. They were amazing. They were, it was Roadrunner, And I think we had Speedy Gonzalez was the other one. So I would have been just fine with the situation. And it was so funny because again, we looked up um, and I was not in the camera well at this time. And shout out to the cameraman, by the way, for having yeah. the eye to find a squirrel on a wall during a game at Yankee Stadium where there's not like it's a million other things going on. Um, I thought it was hilarious. I did, however, keep checking which inning the squirrel actually did appear because I wanted to make sure this wasn't a rally squirrel because if that's the case, we've got to move him to Central Park. That's just not going to be acceptable <laughs> for the Baltimore <laughs> fan base here to keep a rally squirrel in. But I love the reactions. I thought they were hilarious. I'm appreciative that they let him jump off the wall at his own graceful choosing. Uh, but man, that's why you love baseball, right? It's, it's the little stuff that doesn't even have anything to do with the game that just makes it great. All right. Today's podcast, one of my favorite ones of the year, because I got to hear Doug Landville tell stories about his mom and you tell stories about your pets as a kid. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Melanie, thank you for doing this. Thanks, Buster. Good to see you. Bleacher Tweets. Already Buster Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew writes in Buster. Tonight's Yankees-Orioles game definitely had a playoff matchup vibe. First time I can say that about New York and Baltimore, uh, you know, since the Manny Machado days. Are these two AL East foes destined for an epic October series? And is Taylor still cursing Aaron Judge's name? Uh, I would say no, and then yes. What about you? Wow. Aaron Judge is like a super nice guy. How can he curse his name? Come on. Uh, I know, I know he, he is a nice guy and that makes him hard to hate, but, uh, you know, when he's ripping home runs and, and, uh, tying the game up late, it's that'll, that'll do it for me. He's on my S list. That would be a fun series. Like mm -hmm. the, the Yankees and the Orioles in October, like a division series of best of five. Yeah. I, that, that would be awesome. I would, I'd be asking to cover that one. Oh yeah. Stewie1969 writes in, in your opinion, does hitting a dinger, a grand salami at that off a position player up by 10 in the ninth break the unwritten rules? Those are a thing anymore. Uh, and he attached a clip of uh, the gra the Vladdy grand slam that we played earlier off Luke Rayleigh. No, first off, like, you know, the, I, I, I mean, you're standing in the box. You don't want to give away a plate appearance. In, in the previous plate appearance, Vladdy had struck out against Luke Rayleigh, and everyone had a good laugh about it. <laughs> and this was like his revenge moment, right, that he actually had a grand slam. But on top of that, if you're a major league hitter, what are you supposed to do? Like the way teams build their pitching staffs these days, it used to be that position players, maybe the course of the summer, you'd see a very small handful, like less than a dozen across the entire sport. 
And now you see position players pitch all the time to the degree that they had to make rules against it. So no, I have at it. Yeah, he's not gonna pass up any any sort of stat padding he can get in there. Uh, Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather writes in Buster, an idea for the podcast done in airports and hotels, maybe have a lanyard that holds a badge that says, I'm not talking to myself, I'm recording a baseball podcast speaking with guests for the show. Maybe you do need a sign, or I was thinking actually, you have a sign that says, I'm recording ESPN's Baseball Tonight podcast oh my as God. marketing for the show. What do you think? Well, first off, would that be the <laughs> ultimate look at me moment? Like, yes. You know, I'm sitting near gate C8 in the Minneapolis airport. I put a big sign around my neck like, be quiet, everybody. I'm taping a podcast. You talk about obnoxious? No chance. <laughs> oh, I knew you'd hate that idea. Uh, the sports snob. <laughs> He writes in, what do you think the Orioles City Connect uniforms, Taylor? I thought they were uh, kind of boring. I like the hats, the, the uniforms or whatever. I'm not, I feel like to get mad about it is overdone right now. What did you think? I thought June Lee, you know, and oh, I mean, he's, he's a lot more stylish than I am. He mentioned, I think it was June who said that maybe that little uh, stripe that uh, they have on the arm, that maybe if that was over the center of the jersey rather than in the style of that, over the center of the jersey than where they have it is sort of like an armband. What did you think about that? Yeah, I, I did like that little piece of flair, but again, it's just like a little strip on the sleeves and then they highlight that it's like inside the jersey, like that matters, like anyone would care about what's what you can't see on the jersey. So I agree, a little yeah. more pizzazz would have been nice to see, but that's okay, the hats are cool. Uh, Christopher Bishop writes in, hey Buster, after a table, terrible month, is David Ross on the hot seat? If not now, when? Uh, look, I mean, he's not going to be during the year for sure. He's, he's their guy. Right. And I think internally the Cubs knew that they weren't going to be serious contenders this year. I think they did feel like they were going to make progress. I don't know how you judge, you know, David Ross fairly under the circumstances because the team basically tanked for a couple of years. They took their payroll down much in the same way that Taylor, you couldn't have judged Brandon Hyde on the first years he was Mm -hmm. managing the Orioles. Yep, that's a that's a great comparison. Yeah, you're gonna have to be a little more patient there, Cubs fans. Uh, Corey Rukert, oh, lots of Orioles talk today. I love it. Lots of uh, Orioles talk. Let's go. So Corey writes in with the Orioles playing good ball. Should we repent for the things we said about the owner in front office? And are the Reds going to be the 2024 Orioles? Let's tackle that first question, Buster, because I don't think we need to repent for anything we've said about John Angelos. Maybe a little bit of Mike Elias. Uh, and, and definitely, I need to issue a personal apology to Adam Frazier, who's been awesome. And I was, you know, just dismissing him before the season. So my apologies, Adam Frazier. Uh, I'll just say it again. Like the whole tanking thing, I, I, I mean, I'm never going to be in support of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Reds did the same thing. And, and by the way, you can say these two, uh, the, these two statements are not in Congress. You can say that tanking is terrible for the sport. You know, I, you know, I've talked so much about it through the years. It's an awful look for the sport. And under the current rules, unless the owners address it, you know what? You can't say that it's not a sound strategy. Like if you're an owner of a team and you want to make a lot of money owning the baseball team, and maybe you want to get access to the top picks in the draft. Yeah, it makes sense, which is why we've been clamoring, Taylor, for sticking the other owners to step in and fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, I like I understand the end game and, you know, clearly with the Orioles, like it's it's trending in a positive direction. But, you know, I'm going to my first game tonight in four years. I mean, part of it is I, I live far away. But even then, even, you know, after, you know, the the collapse in the 2016 playoffs, you know, I, I, my interest level really bottomed out. Like I really wasn't going to more than 
one game a year. I wasn't watching a ton. You know, now they're, you know, very competitive. But even if they were moderately competitive, you know, I would be watching more games. I'd be going to more games. Like it, it just, it, it all kind of lines up. It's, it's a very, it seems like a simple equation to me. Yep. All right. Last one for today. PK Steinberg writes in fill in the blank. The Phillies are blank inconsistent. He has some options here. Mildly, wildly or maddening inconsistent. Yeah, Sarah, I'm going to defer to you on this one because, A, <laughs> you've demonstrated you're the biggest Phillies fan in the history of the Philadelphia Phillies. And, B, uh, it, it's uh, I think we've demonstrated this year if I ever speak of the Phillies, it will set off a slump. So I'm just going to leave it to for you. I very much appreciate the two of you specifically not talking about the Phillies because I feel like you jinx them every time as it has been discussed. I'm going to say wildly. I'm going to be optimistic. I believe in them. And I would rather them get a slow start and then peak at the right time than be overhyped. Well, they're an interesting team. I know I was going to say something nice, but never mind. I'm not going to say anything. Go ahead, Taylor. (laughs) All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Everyone will be back on Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Doug, Melanie, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.